Anybody have a friend that talks to themselves? Maybe that's you. <laughs> Maybe you talk to yourself. You know what they say about talking to yourself, right? They say as long as you get the right answers. I know people that talk to themselves, and I, what was that? No, no, I'm just processing verbally. I'm environmentally processing. Did you know that God talks to himself? Let us make man in our image. And I like this. Have, have you ever seen that? Where God talks to himself? I want to talk to you for a little while today out of Genesis chapter 8, verse 15. Genesis chapter 8, verse 15. And my title is just simply this, When God Talks to Himself. We'll come back to that title in just a minute. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark. Tell them to go out of the ark. This is where they have rested, and now God is opening the door. Thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. How many know that when you walk with God, he saves your family too? Amen. Hallelujah. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, all of all flesh, both of fowl and of the cattle and every creeping thing. Those are the spiders. They could have left that on the ark, amen, or left those back before the flood. I just want to know how the mosquito got on the boat. That's what I want to know. That wasn't a good thing. Creeping things creepeth upon the earth that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. Same blessing that came in the garden came here. It was a new beginning. And Noah went forth, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. And every beast and every creeping thing and every fowl and, every, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth or, or crawl upon the earth after their kind went forth out of the ark. And Noah builded an what? What did he build? He didn't have a house, didn't have a market, couldn't run over to Target. Didn't have a Starbucks, nothing. And what did he do first? He built an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And I'm thankful today that I can tell you that as he made that sacrifice, the Lord noticed. Verse 21, if you can get that for me in 22, the Lord notices, turn to somebody, tell them, the Lord notices your sacrifice. Amen. And verse number 21 says, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord smelled, how many know <laughs> that this sacrifice was being offered on the earth, but God smelled it in heaven? That's how powerful sacrifice is to God. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. Next verse. While the earth remaineth, the Bible says, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. It shall not cease. So he reestablished the seasons. But I want you to notice that in verse number 21, these are not the words of the Lord when he said, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, 
sowing and reaping, basically, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. These are not the words of the Lord. These are the thoughts of God, because it said, he said in his heart, your sacrifice makes God think pleasant things about you. And if you have a sacrifice, it will change your season of life. It will bring you out of something you've been in. It'll bring you out of a storm if you build an altar first. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray. We know your thoughts are good toward us continually. We know that your, thought, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways higher than our ways. But in this scripture, we get a glimpse of what you do with sacrifice and how pleasing it is to you when we give. Even if we don't have, we give of our praise, of our worship, not just our money, of our time and our talent. We ask you today to bless and minister to us in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. It's become an imperative that ministers like myself rehearse the basic stories of the Bible because people don't know the Word of God like they used to. Many of you now will be bored by the story of Noah and the ark because you know it. You know it well. But I need to tell you, for those that may not know it, that God told Noah it was going to rain. We take that for granted. When we first moved in here, there was a Noah's ark over the crib in the nursery. And it has all these animals on the boat. And that was an extinction-level event put right over a little junior in the crib. I'm like, I don't even like that there. Let's repaint that wall. And then a Jeep Cherokee drove through the wall and took out Noah's pictorial. And while I was standing there going, how are we going to repair all this damage because someone accidentally drove into the building? As a visitor, they wanted to get here. They were really interested in being in service. They pull, pulled all the way. I had to tell them we don't have any indoor parking, though. I mean, this is not something we have yet. Maybe someday we will. But I walked into the nursery, and that Noah boat and with all the animals was just cracked open and falling on the floor. And I was like, yes! No more celebrating a worldwide extinction over top of little Judith. <laughs> and as I was looking forward to painting that wall once it got replaced, and they did. And just the story itself can be used in places where you wouldn't think it would show up because it is a cataclysmic event. It changed the topography of the earth because of the flood. And when someone tells you it rained 40 days and 40 nights, that's what covered the earth, that's not correct because the springs of the earth broke loose too. You cannot rain 40 days and 40 nights and cover the entire earth with water. It's impossible. But when the springs and the things under the earth broke loose, they brought water. Water came from below and above. You have to understand that in scripture. And then also you have to understand that the ark is a way of walking through a story that tells us about God. This is before they had scripture. So before they had the path in scripture, they had the pathology of what God is like. They could see what God was like and how he helped and, and, and delivered his people. They saw the heart of God in the story of Noah, that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And him and his family, eight total, were saved in an ark. And the rest, because of the wickedness that had grown upon the earth, you can read all through chapter 6 and chapter 7 of, of Genesis and see it is told very clearly. But Noah was told to build the ark. And so if you had to get permits for that today, you probably wouldn't get them. Start building an ark in the backyard of your house. 
and it had never rained before. You'd never seen rain. Didn't know what rain was. Noah didn't know what was happening. He didn't know what he was, he was actually building in entirety. He just knew that God told him to build an ark, and he obeyed. You see, the greatest things about your life and your walk with God is that you will obey God, and you will keep building, even when you don't understand. Do I have a church in here today? Amen. So he obeyed God and building without full understanding. How many times has God asked us to step out in faith without full understanding? Some of you right now are stepping out in faith in some area in your life without full understanding. You don't know how it will turn out. You don't know how it's going to go. But you're stepping out because you're obeying and you're continuing to build your relationship with God. If you will build an altar and build your relationship with God, as long as you have an altar and you have your faith in God, he will always help you you to be fully obedient to the word of God that he puts in your life because you're bringing the word through flesh. Amen. And God already has a pattern of doing that through Jesus Christ. I hope I'm not getting too loud for you. So he's obeying God. And so he builds an ark, which looked, <laughs> I mean, just imagine if you have that ark picture and you can put it up, just imagine the ridiculousness of and the noise outside your back window whenever your neighbor starts building a, something that's supposed to float on water and you're not near water. Imagine when God says, I, I will put the righteous in this boat and the animals will come two by two. Noah doesn't have a, an animal whispering capability. He's not the animal whisperer. But God brought the animals to the boat. How do you get all these animals gathered in one place? I don't know, but God can gather things. Amen? You can build a church where there's no church, and God can gather a church. God's a gatherer. He brings people home when they go astray. He knows how to bring things to a place of safety. Amen? Because man needs a God who guides. And so man is so wicked and so destructive at this point that God was going to start over the process and begin again and wipe the earth clean and then start over. And so Noah and eight souls were sealed in by God. Amen. How about me know that the Lord opens and closes doors? I've been saying that for three weeks now. The most, the most amazing thing to me is that I am learning how to celebrate and thank God on closed doors as much as I'm learning how to celebrate God on open doors. When he opens a door, I praise him. When he closes a door, I still praise him because he's sparing me. He's keeping me. And so the water broke loose from below and above, as I said, and, and that, was called, that was before that time. It was called the antediluvian age. And change came across the earth. It was a change of lifespan, too. You have to understand that there was a canopy of water over the earth. There was some sort of vapor between the sun and us that allowed human beings to live longer lives. We didn't have skin cancer. We didn't have things that we have now. We don't, well, it's not, you know, it's, it's not the 80 possible years by reason of strength that the scripture gives us now, but it was before they were living to 200, 300, and also their DNA strand was newer. They were still closer to Adam and Eve, so they were stronger genetically. We sure know that the genetics are changed. Psychologists even say they have done papers that have studied the, the hereditary lines or, or the, the children and grandchildren of people who went through the Holocaust and those people that went through those traumatic moments. They 
they can see in their DNA strand, in their great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, that their DNA was changed by the trauma that they went through. It literally is a dangerous thing to step out of the hands of God because it can change the future of your children and your grandchildren. But when you stay in the hands of God, he will put you in a place of safety to take you through the storms of life. Amen? The whole planet changed while they were in the boat. But God keeps you sometimes in a hiding place. Have you ever been in a hiding place? It's not a comfortable place. I promise you that. It's a tight place, but it's a safe place. He put them in a safe place while he was reshaping the earth's geology. God can keep you in a safe place, brothers and sisters, in storms. I don't care what the storm is, a financial storm, a relational storm, somebody walks out on you, you're having disharmony in your home. I don't know what your storm is, but I promise you, if he can keep Noah and his family safe while he reshapes an entire earth, he can keep you in an ark in a safe place. And we know that the ark obviously has many typologies, has many symbolic things that we can look to. The ark is a reference of the church. There's many different arcs. Arcs, obviously, that Noah was in became buoyant by the water as it was lifted, and he was set adrift in a storm. And we know that that speaks of baptism. How many know that speaks of baptism? That he gets in the Hebrew Hall of Fame. And that Noah was saved through the water and the flood. So it speaks to baptism and the importance of baptism. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Amen. And so we see that Noah goes through the water to salvation. And we know that salvation is necessary in every man's life for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. And thank God Jesus died for us as our substitute. How many know the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank God he died for us. That should be a celebration in this room. That should be a strong amen. And so we ask God, we ask God, why would you use a flood? Why would you use something like this, 40 days and 40 nights of rain, and the earth submerged, and God sometimes puts us in places just like that because he has a pathology. He has a way of doing things. And I began to look at the ark. If you have the picture of the ark and you can put it up there. Is there someone to help me in the media team? No? Okay. We're struggling today a little bit because our media director is out, of, out at a baby dedication. So we will go without the picture of the ark. Everybody imagine a picture of an ark. Just the ark that rested... After it floated, about 150 days, the Lord began to speak to Noah that he could leave the ark. He'd already done all the things of releasing the bird, the dove, and all of that. But whenever you get to that point where the, the, the ark comes to rest on Mount Ararat, the Bible actually breaks down. The, the interesting thing is the Bible breaks down a truth that is not necessarily known, and that is that the, the Bible does not say that it came to rest on Mount Ararat. It came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And so that's why they haven't found it. Number one is because not only was there thousands of layers of sediment, they found, they found shells and they found different things in the mountain. There's actually two mountains at, in Ararat. Mount Ararat, there's the, the littler, littler mountain and the larger mountain. They're actually two volcanic structures, and they have, they have nearly 12,782 feet on the little 
Ararat on the left, and the large Ararat has 16,854 feet, and this is in Turkey, eastern Turkey. The mountains are still there, but those mountains were not built in the time of Noah. That is lava that built that. You have to understand that whenever it talks about Noah landing in the mountains of Ararat, it's talking about a space, an area, a geographical location that can cover nearly 420 square miles. Just the mountain here itself that you're looking at covers nearly 420 square miles. The area of the mountains of Ararat covers even more than that. And so when the scripture says he landed on the mountains of Ararat, it's not just one mountain. There's been many people that said they found Noah's Ark. They went searching for it and they found it. One guy even bought a plank of wood in town, carried it up the mountain, had his son take a black and white video of him pulling it out of the snow and saying, I found a piece of Noah's Ark just to get famous. People will do just anything, won't they? But here you notice that there's not only the mountains of Ararat and not just a single mountain that the Bible mentions, but there's other things that happen in this area. There is over 13,000 before these mountains were built by lava spewing out of those two cones that built those mountains as high as they are. There was 13,800 feet of flood sediment underneath those lava mountains before those lava mountains were ever even there. Billions of ocean creatures are underneath all of the topography study that they were able to do. There's bronchial pods in there. There's lampshells. There's coral in these mountains. They're not near water, just so you know. There is clams and ammonites. I don't know who the ammonites are, but they had a bad day. Just kidding. It's a certain kind of sea creature. But they're found in these mountains. And then on top of that, covering the 13,800 feet of flood sediment from the flood, there is 2,600 feet covering that of lava material from lava flow from these mountains. So what you're seeing here is Mount Ararat in Turkey is not what was there when Noah's boat rested. It's interesting to know the, the, I don't know if there's any Bible nerds in the area, but it's interesting to know that because marine invertebrate fossils appear here and other places all over the world. And it could only happen if there was truly a flood of great proportion. In fact, it's a fascination for many people because in almost every culture, that ancient culture, there is flood stories in almost every ancient culture. And then there's eyewitness accounts of wooden structures that have been found, but never have they truly found the ark. These are now dormant volcanoes. The last eruption was June, July 2nd, 1840. But you have to understand that what, would, what the ark would rest on would have been buried by lava at this point. It would be buried in that mountain if it rested there. So I love the fact that sometimes God hides us. And then sometimes God hides the hiding place where he's been hiding us. I love that about God, that God not only takes you to places where you might feel ashamed and you might feel hurt and you might feel lonely and you might feel forsaken and he'll cocoon you or he'll put you in a safe place to heal you and to help you. But then he might even hide that from the world that you had to go through that moment, that he'll give you a secret place. Anybody in the house today know that God can give you a secret place to keep you from the storms you're going through. He'll give you a peace when you didn't have peace. So Noah's Ark landed and the flood waters retreated. 
Volcanic eruptions spread lava across the region, and that built Mount Ararat. So the mountains of Ararat is where the ark rested. Noah's ark landed, and then he was committed and asked of God to step out of the ark. We get to the scripture here that I read to you today where God is calling them out of the ark. But I want to I be careful to, to not call you out of the ark before it's your time. That not to call you out of a resting place that God has you to nourish you. Not to call you out of a place where God is preserving you. Because there's some things we need to see in this story. Are you still here with me today? We need to see, number one, that God provides a safe place for his children. I've said that. But no matter what's going on in your life, God's kids will always be preserved. I believe that because I'm one of them and I've experienced. Number two, that God opens doors and God closes them. And when this, the opportunity makes itself available, you have to go through the door. Opportunities from God are, are not always there. When he makes an opportunity, there's no guarantee that that door will stay open. You have to walk through it. Some of God's blessings have expiration dates. Anybody know that to be true? And you have to take a hold of it when God gives it to you. Noah and his family were baptized. Amen. Symbolic. I'm grateful for that. On, the, on one hand, Noah found grace in the eyes of God, but his relationship with God saved his family. We're going to dedicate some babies today, and we're going to ask somebody to, to make a commitment that they're going to watch over and cover and pray for those little babies today. And that's going to be a blessing because the salvation of one can cover the kids, and they can help them to learn to grow in God until they make their own decision that I want to follow the Lord. Amen. That means that means that from this story, amen, from this story we learn that ministry starts at home, that saving your family is more important than anything else. And the greatest success you will ever have is to impress, your, impress on your children that they need to walk with God and they need to be saved. More than you impress anybody else, more than you do anything else, the greatest success is to save your family. Number four, God can design a place that no matter how much turmoil or turbulence is outside, you can have a place of safety inside, a place of peace. Amen? I think it's going to get harder in our world, just as a pastor talking here, I think it's going to get harder for people to find peace as our world gets worse. And that's why there will be great revival in the last days. Because people not only will not be able to get away from their past because it will be on the internet everywhere, but they also will not be able to find peace. And that is something that God offers. I'll cover your past in the blood and I'll give you peace through my spirit. That is why the church is relevant today. That is why the church will be, revi will be in revival and renewal until the Lord takes us home. So he offers a secure place, a safe place, a <laughs> sometimes a smelly place. We find out that God's church is not always an easy place to be, amen? The ark was a smelly place. Imagine being locked into a boat with a bunch of animals, with no bathrooms and one window. And we're going to start at 40 days, and then we'll probably go to 90 days, and then maybe 150 days, kind of like this COVID mask thing. Just keep extending it. Uh, that might be a personal moment. I apologize. But animals, people, so much going on there, and God locked them in. 
And it tells us that the church, if the ark is the picture of the church, that you can be a Christian and be surrounded by other believers and there still be drama and smelliness at times. That each individual, though the church is secure and the church is watched over by God himself because it is his bride, we have to understand that there's no guarantee that you're going to be comfortable in the house of God. He doesn't guarantee that you're going to be comfortable in the ark. Amen? He's not going to make it perfect for you, possibly. He's not going to make it the best thing you ever had because you have to understand that in dealing with other people and dealing with other people's drama and other people's situation, even if the church is like the ark, every living thing brings their own drama and com contributes their own smell. The truth is that the story of Noah tells us that it's better to be in the stench than in the storm. <coughs> the odor, the odor of the church, the odor in the ark includes you. Nobody's perfect, amen? So the reason why you have to know it includes you so you don't get too judgmental. You don't think it's their stuff and their problem. And do you know what they did whenever you have stench yourself? You have things you brought to the cross yourself. You have stuff you had to overcome yourself. We all bring a certain stench. We are saved because he, he loved us. Amen? We have to learn to live with the stench of the church sometimes. But Jesus loves us anyways. Yep, even your saved self. Sometimes you have drama. Anybody want to be real with me today? Even your saved Bible-toting, Scripture-quoting, song-singing, happy-in-Jesus self has drama, and it can be smelly, and it can be messy, and you can come and do your best and still fall down and get dirty, and God still picks you back up and says, I love you anyways, and it might be your thousandth chance, but he's got a thousand and one chances and a thousand and two chances. Because his blood is that strong, brothers and sisters. His cross was that real. His power is that overwhelming. He saved me when I was unsavable. He loved me first. And so I'm grateful that even though I was not worthy, he still loved me. So don't give up on the church just because there's a stench. Remember the option. It's either here or the storm. You can live with him or without him. It's your choice. But living with him means that he'll bless you. He'll help you. He'll keep you. He'll cocoon you. He'll put you in places where he'll make a womb around you and bring you forth and birth you at the right time so that you can take a hold of every advantage he has for you in your life. And his plan is better than the storm. His plan is better than the storm. His ark is always better. And so stay in the church. It's where you're supposed to be. His past and his understanding and his methods may change, but we can understand from his doings and his actions and his deeds toward his people. Noah was incubated in an ark. There's a picture of a cocoon that I had. I saw this. Another preacher was preaching, and he had an ark, and he had a cocoon, and he had a womb. And he said, you notice one thing about God is he always uses the same style of development. He puts people in places to hide them, to develop their character, and to develop their attitude, and to develop their disposition and their integrity and their leadership and their relentlessness. 
The butterfly fights its way out of the cocoon as it becomes a butterfly from a caterpillar. The metamorphosis that's taking place in your life right now, brothers and sisters, is a place of moving from small things to greater things. The church is constantly moving from tight places, small places, isolated places to greater things in God. And when you come out of a cocoon, God uses an ark, God uses a cocoon, God uses a womb. He'll use anything he has to use to create a bigger space, a greater blessing, a bigger provision for you. And when you come out, you don't come out the same way you went in. You have to understand that when God works, he develops you in a hiding place. And there's a caution to that because some of us try to claw our way out before we're ready. We don't like the restriction. We don't like the feelings. We don't like the tightness. We don't like the shortness. We don't like the fact that we don't have everything we want, but God puts us in a place to work on us, amen? And he also puts you in that place so that you can find out who you are and what you have in you and what he's put in you and the gifts that you have that you have never developed and you would not reach for them, you would not dig for them, you would not try to find these gifts and these, these opportunities that God has put inside you from birth if you did not have the difficulty of a difficult place. Understand that God develops greatness in small places. That's why the scripture says not to despise the day of small beginnings. We all began small, brothers and sisters. We all started in a small place, but God develops greatness in small places. God starts you out small. Somebody know that? And so be careful because if you don't like the restrictions of the womb, you can be born too soon. And not make it. You know, women that have pregnancies and they have what they call, I think it's a tubular pregnancy. It's where the pregnancy gets outside the womb. Oftentimes, and most often, the baby will not make it through the pregnancy. But when God cocoons you, when God creates a place for you to develop, it's not just because he's having you develop yourself and develop you into what you're going to be, but it's also for your protection. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's for your protection. Amen. And we can sometimes, if we're not careful, look at places where God has wombed us in, amen, or where God has put us in a cocoon or where God has put us in an ark. We can look at it as such a restriction that we can change it from a place of protection to a place of prison in our mind. We can literally feel like it is a place where we're held up and we're stopped and we cannot do what we want to do. It feels tight. It always feels stuck. It always feels like you're being, you're being strangled in those moments that your life is being asphyxiated in those places, but you have to understand that the pushing and the and the striving and the growing is taking place in you as you press and you're you're holding back. The, the, the cocoon is there for the caterpillar, not because it necessarily needs to have everything that happens on the outside, but it needs everything that's happening on the inside. And the cocoon will stay hard, but when it starts to break loose, it has to push and it has to 
It has to strive to get out of that cocoon. And when it does that at the right time, it pushes all the blood to the extremities of its wings. And without the struggle, the wings would not develop. Without the struggle, it would not push blood and nourishment to the very edge of its wings. And it would be dwarfed and unable to fly. The tight places in your life, brothers and sisters, as I'm trying to preach this to you, and I want to tell somebody, I come to preach this, just get comfortable and ride it out because the place you're stuck in right now is there to incubate your life and God is using it to bring you into greater promise. It will open the door at the right time and he will bring you out. God does not bring you out of a small place to put you in a smaller place. God incubates and God protects you and God develops you so that when he brings you out, you can step into a larger place. And you need to know that. Because if you don't stay in the place God has you, if you don't stay in the ark long enough, if you don't stay in the cocoon or stay in the pattern that God has developed, the womb, if you don't be patient, you will impatiently claw your way out and destroy something God's been working on in your life all this time. God will tell you when to come out. How do I know, Pastor? I, I, don't, I don't really hear from God like that. I don't, God doesn't talk to me like he does you maybe. And how am I going to know? When God opens the door and when God brings you out, you will know. God is powerful enough to make sure you know that the door's open. He's not going to leave it clo- open and just say, good luck. Hope you find the way out. He's going to direct your life right to the door. And so when the cocoon and discovery, we, we realize that when the cocoon breaks open, the caterpillar can never be the same. And for some of us, we're okay with staying somewhat the same, even though God's calling to us to a completely different dimension in him. And you have to go from crawling to flying. And in order to do that, you have to go through a very large change And change is painful. Patience is painful, brothers and sisters. Patience with your spouse is painful, brothers and sisters. Patience with your children is painful, brothers and sisters. There's going to be pain in life. You're going to have pain somewhere in life. You're not free of pain. But the pattern of God is that when he brings you out, if you have patience to wait long enough, when God brings you out, you will step through a door that brings you into a place that makes you different. It's a new day, brothers and sisters. It's something completely different. And you have to be okay with flying and not okay with crawling anymore. You may have to change friends. You may have to change those you hang out with. Because when you come out, it's going to be greater. You might not get your wings as fast as you want to, but if you wait patiently, you will get wings for that situation. So I was wondering why sometimes I have to be patient with my wife. She's patient with me. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not a bucket full of fun. I get that. She's, she's very patient with me, and I'm thankful. And I, I asked the Lord, why can't I understand her? And he said, well, I put you to sleep when I made her. No wonder why you can't understand her. That's not true. But Adam was put to sleep, and he took a bride out of his side. And whenever he created Eve, Adam took one look at her and said, woman. 
She's like me, only she has a womb. She's a woman. She's a man with a womb, woman. He, there was intimacy between Adam and Eve that we can't even quite understand yet because there was no barriers to their intimacy. When he looked at her, he saw everything she was. And either he said, that's woman, or he said, whoa, man. Just kidding. I'm making sure you haven't fallen asleep yet. Because life is in the womb. There's protection. There's hope. There's a controlled environment that God will put you in. And he built that in order to build and prosper and replenish the earth. Amen? I remember when my son Seth was born. I'll give you a couple stories, and then we're going to dedicate these precious babies. When my son Seth was born, I'm going to take some of these notes and maybe preach them next week. Is this good enough to preach next week? Can I bring this back to you? I have so much more here. I did not realize I had so much. We'll try to package this again for you in a way that you can engage in and that's provocative for you. When we had Seth, um, my wife was having a baby in the delivery room, and I was having a class. <laughs> she was having a son. I was getting a sermon. And I was watching all of this happen, and, and babies don't come out like they do in the TV. They don't come out like they do in the movies, all cleaned up and like look like little Gerber babies with chubby cheeks and cuteness. And Oh, they come out messy, and they come out bruised, and they come out having the plates in their head not fused together so the, they can move as they're going through the birth canal. And there's, there's a lot of trauma to deliverance, amen? And we have to understand that there's trauma to delivering someone into new birth in Jesus Christ. There's, there's things that happen whenever you're born again, and you don't quite understand all that's happening yet. There's a, a new world you're being birthed into, and you don't know the language yet, and you don't quite understand how to use the tongue you've been given yet. And you don't quite know what to do with all that has been handed to you. And it's uncomfortable and it's tight and it's restrictive and every system is pushing on you and everything is changing and because you have been incubated in a place of safety now it feels like traumatic and difficult situation in a difficult situation I've had to be in tight places before and so whenever Seth was born he came out he was so long he was like he was like six foot five and I was like I mean, just the legs, the long, lanky legs. He was the cutest thing you ever saw. And I immediately started crying. It was just a response because the beauty of life, that God had protected him in that womb, and she had carried him around for nine months, and, we, and he came out at the right time to be delivered and to be healthy, and he took his first breath, and he screamed. He's in the, we got a walker. He's in the earth. But he's screaming because there's not the warmth of the womb anymore. You can't ball up and just be comfortable and yank on the umbilical cord and say, Mom, get some orange juice down here. The place where he was nourished from, the place where he grew in, the place where he was given life, the womb gives life, but it will not give life if you stay too long. And that's why you have to have a walk with God. And that's why you have to have an altar of sacrifice. Because if you don't have a connection with God, you won't know when you're supposed to walk out. You won't know when you're supposed to go through. You won't know when you're supposed to change. And I'm telling you, because God is faithful, it seems like a flip-flop, but it's not. Life is in the womb. Life is in the cocoon. Life is in the ark. And God will tell you when you're supposed to come out. But it does mean that you can feel like it's a prison at times if you don't have a walk with God. 
You need to have an altar, brothers and sisters. But you will come out better than you went in, and I'm thankful for that. Sarah, if you could join me up here, I need your iPad with you with the dedication stuff that we're going to do. You have to go through the process. And so they're coming out of the ark, and I'll try to give this to you some more next week if, if the Lord gives me freedom to do so. But I have to tell somebody here, don't claw your way out before your time. Don't leave before it's your time. Because God will have you wait. Just turn to somebody, tell them just, turn to somebody and tell them just wait. Just wait. Because when you come out, you'll be better than when you went in. God doesn't put you in the ark to not develop you. He's put you in a place of development. Some of you right now are thinking about moving to different places, different things. I'll share with you next week the different places where God has used an ark, where God has used a place of safety. And it's, it's awesome. In Egypt, in the ark of the covenant, he protected his word. In Jesus, he bought his bride. When they pierced or they opened the door of the side of the ark, Jesus Christ, blood and water flowed, amen. That was him purchasing his bride. Out of his side came his bride, amen. And so whenever God decided to use the womb of a woman, it would be abusive just to use the womb of a woman just to bring a child into the earth. That would have been abuse if God asked Mary, let me just borrow your womb. I only need it to, to make a sacrifice unless he built that womb first. If he's owner of the womb, he can ask for it. If he built the womb, he can ask for it to build his sacrifice. Amen? So I've, I'll deal with some of that next week because I do believe that there's other things here for you. But when he brings you out, he brings you out to bigger and better. And we'll deal with next week fighting fear. Because when you walk out into something new, the first thing you have to fight is yourself. It's not the battles that are around you. It's not the things that come against you. You have to fight the fear of being in something you're not familiar with. And so we'll deal with that somewhat next week. But at this time, I want to just stand together and let's begin to go toward the dedication of the babies here today. Amen. Mona and Ashley, could you come down with the babies and let's do the dedication today? Amen. Let's give them a big hand as they dedicate Kilmarian and Abriana today. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask a couple questions of you, Ashley, okay? And I just want you to say, I will. These are dedication questions. These are questions that I ask in order to remind all of us, everyone that's listening, that we have to protect and we have to guide and we have to raise up a child, the Bible says, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So, Ashley, just when I'm done with asking the question, you would respond with, I will. Do you, Ashley, as mother of Kilmarian and Abriana, by your own free will, desire to offer these children to the Lord?
do you vow to be an example in godliness as a mother for your son and your daughter? Do you vow to nurture your son and cherish him and teach him what it is to love a woman as well as nurture and cherish your daughter and teach her what a good man would be for her life? Amen. Do you promise to uphold God's commands to teach them to love God with all their heart, soul, and might, and to put him first in their lives and hold fast to the truth taught in the word of God? And do you also promise to model a committed, faithful Christian lifestyle so your son and your daughter will know the value of a close relationship with God? Amen. Would you gather around them today and let's pray for these babies. We don't baptize babies because we know the scripture says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And these babies do not have the capacity to put their faith in Jesus Christ. So what we're doing is we're gathering around and we're dedicating these babies for a covering from the Lord and we're giving them back to the Lord. This is a gift that we're giving back. We're giving Kilmarian and we're giving Abriana back to the Lord. They are the fruit of the room. He developed them. He knows what gifts are in them. And we return those gifts to his use and his care in Jesus' name. Would you gather around if you're willing to? And let's pray in Jesus' name. Take me there. Take me there. Make the offerings. It's right here. My life is here. And I'll be your living sacrifice. Try by fire.